Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 21 is our text. The topic, two terrifying demon armies are unleashed upon the inhabitants of earth in an effort to lead men to turn to God from idols. The title of our message, A Double Demon Scare Ya. <laughs> Have a word of prayer. Father, we do want to approach your word with reverence and awe. We want to recognize that your spirit is here to be our teacher, to anoint your word, Lord, with power. We're gathered together as your temple. And um, Lord, we want to be those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to us as your church. And so do all those things, Lord, by bringing Jesus into focus. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. Scared Straight, a 1978 documentary about a group of juvenile delinquents and their three-hour session with actual convicts. Who remembers Scared Straight? Yeah, it's uh, scary. <laughs> Filmed at Rahway State Prison in New Jersey, the inmates berate, scream at, curse at, and generally terrify the young offenders in an attempt to scare them straight so that those teenagers will avoid prison life. There's nothing PC about it. Occasionally, even the camera operators are targeted by the inmates because they get too close and they interrupt what's going on. My dad often employed a scared straight philosophy of child raising. After he caught me with marijuana in junior high, he drove me into a crime infested part of San Bernardino called Waterman Gardens, and he told me that was where I would end up by smoking pot. It was, to say the least, ineffective. <laughs> Truth is, People are generally not scared straight. I could cite a 2002 study of the results of a number of scared straight and similar programs which found that they increased crime rates, leading to higher reoffense rates than in control groups that did not receive the intervention. Sometimes what you think is going to happen has just the opposite effect. Now, there's something like Scared Straight in Revelation chapter 9. Two demon armies are released upon the earth during the tribulation. The first one, we're told, is not given authority to kill men, but only to torment them for five months. The second one is instructed to kill a third of mankind. If you think that the rest of the human race will be scared straight to Jesus by that, you're absolutely wrong because we read at the end of the chapter in verses 20 and 21, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Really? Demons first torment, then kill human beings, and the rest of mankind steadfastly refuses to seek the protection of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's just the opposite of what not only we think would happen, but we would pray would happen. Now, these invasions are real. They're going to occur exactly as narrated during the future tribulation. We will already have been resurrected and raptured, and by we, I mean believers in the church age will be safe in heaven. 
Nevertheless, we do find application for ourselves today in these verses. I'll organize my thoughts around two questions we ought to ponder. Number one, do you understand that demons desire to rob you of life? And number two, do you understand that demons are determined to kill you in death? Let's take a look first of all in verses 1 through 12 at being robbed of life. Now, I can anticipate the argument, how can a God of love give his permission for demons to first torment and then kill human beings? Let's deal with that right at the beginning. Remember what I just read about those tribulation human beings. They openly worship demons. You could say that God is giving them exactly what they want and that he is doing it for their own good so that he can lead them to repentance once they see what worshiping demons is all about. Have you seen the latest anti-smoking ad campaign on TV? It's called The Real Cost. Now, these campaigns seem to have no effect on smoking, by the way. So ever since I was a little kid, I've been watching these campaigns and more people smoke than ever. But I love the ads. They're very creative. And the latest one, uh, one of them, a gentleman comes and he puts his money on the table to buy a pack of smokes at the local store, 7-Eleven or Circle K. And the clerk looks up and he goes, it's not enough. And so the guy reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a huge pair of pliers and he gets them into his mouth and he goes, tears out a tooth and this puts this bloody tooth on the counter and the guy says, okay, and he goes off with his smokes. And then the narrator comes on and he says something, what does smoking really cost you? Your teeth. And they give some statistics about gum disease and loss of teeth and all of that. And so the idea is that, you know, smoking may seem glamorous or it may be going a certain way for you, but in the end, you're going to lose your teeth. What is it really like to be an idolater and to worship demons? Well, we're about to see. Verse 1, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Jesus took a seven-sealed scroll from his father. One by one he opened the seals, initiating the seven-year tribulation upon the inhabitants of the earth. When Jesus opened the seventh seal which was about midway into the seven years, about three and a half years into it, seven trumpets sounded, one following the other. The first four trumpet judgments affected the natural world. The next three will involve supernatural phenomena. The fifth trumpet commands a star fallen from heaven to the earth. This star is some type of person because we see he is given the key to the bottomless pit. Star is a term sometimes used to refer to angels, both good and fallen in the Bible. I think it's easy to prove that this star is none other than Satan himself. When we get to chapter 12, we learn more about the devil being cast out of heaven to the earth. We read in chapter 12, verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Chapter 12 goes on to describe Satan trying to exterminate all the Jews on planet Earth for the next three and a half years, which tells us that the fifth trumpet sounds midway through the tribulation. All along the, in, the, in the revelation, we're given clues, if we put them together, about the time frame and the chronology and the sequence of events. Satan is thrown to the earth with a key to the bottomless pit. The Greek word is abusos. It is our word abyss or abyss. 
it seems to exist as a chamber in the center of the earth. And that explains why it is bottomless. If you're encircled by a sphere, the only direction is up. There is no floor or bottom, only a ceiling. And so a sphere is a bottomless pit. Verse two, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So it'll be a no burn day uh, when that takes place. The EPA will have a field day, but uh, I don't know what all this stuff is, but it's gonna be terrifying. You can't find the abyss. It exists in the dimension of the supernatural. That's not to say that it isn't real. It is all too real. What is it? It is a prison for demons. It's the Pelican Bay of supernatural corrections. In other portions of scripture, you read of fallen angels already incarcerated there. You recall, the Bible teaches that when Satan fell and he rebelled against God, he took with him a third of the angels of heaven. They are what we call demons today. They are active with him in his nefarious plots. But there are already demons especially wicked demons who are incarcerated. Second Peter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And then Jude, verse 6, says the same thing. Angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so there are some demons who are already incarcerated. Who are these angels who sinned, reserved in chains? They're not the one-third of the angels who originally rebelled with Satan because, as I said, they are still loose. They might be the angels who sinned in Genesis chapter 6 by cohabiting with human women just prior to Noah's flood. God punished them early by confining them to the abyss. The word hell that Peter used is the Greek word tartarus. It's used to describe a chamber in the abyss where these demons are being detained today. You might remember the famous episode where Jesus commanded a legion of demons to leave a man and enter into a herd of pigs. They begged the Lord to not send them to the abyss before their time. They wanted to remain active uh, on planet Earth. Uh, they didn't want to be incarcerated before the time. Revelation 9.3, then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. You know that these are not insects because in a little while you're going to be told in verse 11 that they have a king over them. And Proverbs 30, 27 says plainly, locusts have no king. And so they're, they're locust-like, but they're not insects. This is an army of demons whose behavior is like that of a plague of locusts, only their prey is human beings. They're given bodies that have been prepared for them to inhabit that are locust-like. We're gonna see the description of their bodies more fully in a moment. In verse four, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Their food is to torment men. They swarm into cities and they attack people. Who are those who have the seal of God on their foreheads? Well, in chapter 7, 144,000 Jews, you remember, were specially sealed by God for their ministry of evangelism. These, for sure, will be spared from the torment of these demons. 
What about other believers on the earth? We've been telling you that throughout the Revelation, through the ministry of the 144,000 and others that we will see along the way, many millions of people are saved. Will they be spared from this torment? Well, the text doesn't say, but I believe they too will be spared because Scripture does say in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. Now, the context in Timothy there isn't the great tribulation, but it does teach us that God puts a seal in or on believers. Uh, right now, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit living in us, and uh, demons and angels know uh, in, the, in the other world, they know that we belong to the Lord. They can see this about us. And so I would speculate that believers are going to be free from this torment. Non-believers, obviously, during the tribulation will be the prey of this demon invasion, and they will be tormented as described now in verses 5 and 6. It says, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. We don't know the significance of five months. Some commentators suggest it mimics the lifespan of locusts, and that's true, but I'm not sure why that means anything. It is gracious of God to not allow this to continue beyond a set period of time. God limits what demons want to do to human beings. Remember I said at the beginning, this is, you're getting a look at what it's like to really worship demons. This is what demons want to do. God allows it for a short period of time in order to bring men to their senses. Suicide and assisted suicide apparently will be impossible. I can't imagine what that means, but it will be awful. People will be trying to kill themselves because of the torment and they will be unable to die. I don't want to point out the obvious, but the men and women affected will be the undead. They will effectively be a type of zombie. This isn't going to be a zombie apocalypse, but there will be zombies in the apocalypse. And this is, this is a terrifying vision of the future. And it's not a hyperbole. It's not something that's being made up. This is actually going to happen during the tribulation. John described the bodies of the demons. Verse 7, the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. You notice, of course, John's use of the word like throughout his description. These are demons in locust-like bodies looking like these things. I don't think this was John's way of describing a helicopter or any other modern instrument of war. This is not man fighting man. This is a demonic attack upon mankind. Back when I first got saved in the late 70s, uh, it was popular to uh, assume that John was seeing things he couldn't really explain. He was seeing modern warfare, and he was seeing uh, the effects of modern warfare. 
uh, Hal Lindsey, for example, in the late great planet Earth, uh, took this approach, and, and I have a lot of respect for that because God used that to get me interested in Jesus Christ and get me saved. But as you see the actual context of this in Revelation, it's clear the devil is thrown to earth, he opens the abyss, demons come out having locust-like bodies, and they attack human beings. There's nothing natural about this. It's strictly supernatural, and that makes it far more terrifying than a Black Hawk helicopter appearing on the horizon. Revelation 9:11, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Satan opens the abyss. Within it is the angel of the bottomless pit, himself incarcerated. His Hebrew and Greek names mean destruction. Uh, he's the leader of this first demon army that is released. There's nothing here to indicate Abaddon rules while he is incarcerated. He's, he leads this army, but he's not the king over the abyss. We have these crazy ideas from literature and movies and television that uh, you know, demons are loose right now in the abyss or in hell and that they're partying and you know, people get thrown in there and they're tormenting them and all that stuff. None of that. These demons are incarcerated. They're reserved in chains of darkness for judgment until this day when they're let loose for a time and Abaddon is one of them suffering he just, when he's released, he's the most powerful of the demons there, and he will lead this demon army. Bob Dylan was accurate when he sang, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but what? You gotta serve somebody. When you were a non-believer, or if you are one today, you may not realize it, but you are serving the devil. The Bible in one place says you are taken captive by him to do his will doesn't mean you're possessed. The devil doesn't have to possess you in order to control you. In fact, he doesn't really want to possess you because that's too obvious. But what happens is an, a non-believer is able to be used by the devil to accomplish his will of persecuting Christians, of passing bad laws, of just being a general uh, uh, you know, a person who doesn't believe in the end times or anything like that. And, and you're just kind of swept along as you're influenced by the world and the flesh and the devil. The Bible goes so far as to say that as a non-believer, you worship the devil secondhand by the idols you have in your life and that you eventually become just like those idols. After describing idols as dumb, lifeless things, Psalm 115 verse 8 says, those who make them are like them. And so you become like whatever it is you worship. And if it's not Jesus, it's something else from this world, in this world, which uh, of which Satan is the prince of the power of the world. Now, people laugh at this talk of dumb idols saying, I don't have a figurine in my house that I bow down to. I don't, you know, burn incense in a little Buddha belly. Uh, but such objects are only one possible manifestation of idolatry. At the end of this chapter, in just a moment, we're going to have a list of practices that are idols among mankind right now. Murder, sorcery, sexual immorality, and thefts. And you're going to see how common the worship of these things is. Here's my point right now. Demons rob you of real life. Jesus put it plainly when he said of Satan, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come 
that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so Jesus said, it's one or the other. Either you have abundant spiritual life in him or you're robbed of life by Satan. Now this first demon invasion, while all too real, serves to illustrate what it's really like to be robbed by Satan. If you could see yourself, you would see yourself as the walking dead. Verse 12, one woe is past. Uh, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. There's a pause. Mankind is given a break in order to respond. And the response would be repentance, which is God's will for them that they might be saved. Now look again closely at the description of human beings tormented by demons in the tribulation. It is a picture of all non-believers in any age who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. The torment non-believers experience now bound by sin may not seem as extreme as being physically tormented by locust-like demons. But we do see extreme cases in human beings of lives that are ruined, do we not? people whose lives are ruined by sin, by worshiping at the altar of self, by uh, following after the things of the world. Many of you have uh, one or more experiences in your life or a time in your life when your life was ruined by sin and everything that you held dear was taken from you or you didn't know if you were going to be able to recover. Or you know somebody like that or we see these problems in the world today. And so, yeah, it, it, you know, I, it's terrifying to be attacked by locust-like demons, but that doesn't mean demons aren't robbing people of life left and right, right now, as you uh, see the homeless or whatever it would be. And so this is what's happening in our world. Now, let's say you're a believer. Most of us are. Demons don't discriminate. They have a non-discrimination policy. They hate everybody. They want just as much to ruin your life as they do the lives of non-believers. In fact, they'd prefer to bring you down because it also brings shame on the name of Jesus Christ. You and I have victory over them because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, but we can surrender victory by giving ourselves over to the flesh or to the things of the world. Christians can have idols. And when we do, we are serving Satan rather than Jesus. I'm not saying we lose our salvation or forfeit our salvation, but it's clear that a Christian can serve self, can serve the world, and by default be serving the devil. It is to the ruination of our witness, it is to the loss of our rewards in heaven, and to the gross failure of our lives on the earth. And so we need to check ourselves for idolatry, and we need to do it all the time. You know, when you got saved, if you're a Christian, it began a process called sanctification of the Lord changing you daily, moment by moment, into the image of Jesus Christ. And the last time I looked in the mirror, I didn't look exactly like Jesus Christ in everything that I say and do. And so I need to constantly revisit what the Lord is doing in my life, and I need to make a response. Every time I read the Word of God, every time I hear the Word of God, uh, spoken or taught, it elicits a response from me of some kind. We're not here just for information. We're here for transformation, and that includes Christians. Verses 13 through 21, do you understand that demons are determined to kill you in death? What's worse than an army of demons let loose from the abyss with the power to torment you for five months? A second army of demons released from the Euphrates River with the power to kill you. And so verse 13, then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. 
The golden altar is the place previously where the prayers of all the saints were offered. Jesus wants you to realize that your prayer, thy kingdom come, is going to find its fulfillment. He will return at the end of the tribulation and establish his kingdom. We're not told whose voice rings forth from the golden altar. Whoever it is, we understand that demons cannot do anything more than God will permit. Though it may seem he gives them too much freedom, we really see how much he holds them back. Again, this is what demons want to do. Rob, kill, destroy. God is holding them back. He only lets them loose in the tribulation to show men who are worshiping them what they're really into. Verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. These are four powerful demons since angels who did not join Satan's rebellion, good angels are not described as bound. Good angels are not bound anywhere, only demons. Somewhere in the Euphrates is another demon prison within which especially wicked demons are incarcerated. There's no reason to think the Bible doesn't mean this literally. And in fact, we're always talking about taking the Bible literally unless it says it is symbolic. What else would this mean? If this is some kind of allegorical or symbolic language, I think you can see that you could make up anything because there's no clear signpost here of what this might mean if it doesn't mean what it actually says. And so four incredibly powerful demons are let loose. Verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Prepared for means that God would use them at this time and for this purpose. God is never the creator or author of evil. It's a petty criticism to blame God for evil since he could have created a world in which it was not possible. Could God have created a world in which there was no possibility of evil? Yes, but then there would be no possibility of free will and no possibility of love. And, and there would be no world as we know it to be redeemed by the love of God. The first demon army wounded and tormented but was not allowed to kill. It gave men the opportunity to repent before the second army came to kill. One-fourth of the earth's population was killed earlier. Now another one-third will be killed. Verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Later in the Revelation, in chapter 16, we're going to read about the Euphrates River drying up so that a 200 million man army from the east can arrive at the final battle of Armageddon. These are two distinct and separate events. What happens in chapter 9 is a demonic invasion that has nothing to do with what happens in chapter 16. John gives the graphic details in verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. It's a mounted cavalry, but there are no ordinary horses. They are terrifying beast-like steeds. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, smoke, and brimstone which came out of their mouths. You're told a second time a third was killed. I see this as only a third. It's clear this army has the power to kill everyone, but is not allowed to do so. Revelation 9:19. for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. What's worse than a scorpion's tail? 
having a tail that is a serpent complete with its own head and fangs and poison. The devil is not just a thief. He's also a murderer. He isn't out just to kill people. He wants to kill them with a death that lasts forever, separated from God. These invasions are permitted by God, but they are, in a very real sense, the consummation of the activities of the inhabitants on the earth. There's a line of dialogue from the miniseries Lonesome Dove that seems to fit. The marshals gather up a bunch of, of heinous outlaws and among them is a friend of theirs. And they're getting ready to hang them for their crimes. And they say to all of them, if you ride with outlaws, you die with outlaws. If you worship demons, you're going to come to a bad end. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, and stone. Uh, and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Even after being shown exactly what demon worship leads to, what demons intend, men refuse to turn to God from their idols. Demons are on the loose today. They don't have the blanket authority to torment and kill. What they largely do is influence to evil. As you look around at our world, their influence seems to be succeeding. Idolatry is what's being described when it talks about the works of their hands. Do people really practice idolatry? Well, first of all, think beyond our own culture here in the West. Most of the rest of the world openly worships idols. If you've done any traveling outside the United States, especially in large third world countries, you know that people openly worship objects, idols. There are literally millions of Hindu gods represented in different ways. They are demons in the sense that the power behind them, if there is power behind them, is demonic. More and more, even here in the West, we succumb to demonic influence. Occult practices are everywhere in our society now, even creeping into the church. But here are some things, there's a list of things that initially you think don't really hit, but they are the influence of demons in every culture and upon our culture. And I think by the time we get through them, you'll say, well, there are people worshiping demons, they just don't know it. So let's look at murders. Murders are an influence of demons we can succumb to. We have legalized murder in the practice and promotion of abortion on demand. Is there any doubt that assisted suicide is going to become commonplace, barring a genuine revival and a return to biblical principles? I, I think not, whether it's tomorrow or a week from now or a decade from now, if we have that much time, assisted suicide is gonna be the way to go. We are living right now in a society that has succumbed to Satan and has legalized murder. Legalized it. And guess what? Satan was a what? A murderer from the beginning. And so people who are not Christians, they don't realize it, but they are worshiping the devil by giving their assent to these things. And it's just as bad as what we're reading about in the Revelation. And so, yeah, the devil is out there and he's influencing us in a terrible way. Sorceries are an influence of demons we can succumb to. 
The word is pharmakia, the word we translate pharmacy. The use of drugs is what's being described partially. Do we have a drug problem in the world today? It's because of the devil. It's a worship of Satan de facto. People don't realize it. They don't say, hey, I'd like to worship the devil. I want to get all strung out on drugs. But the devil is who's behind it because he is a murderer and a liar and a thief. Sexual immorality, that's an influence of demons we can succumb to. This term encompasses all manner of sexual sin, not just the ones we tend to think are the worst. It includes any sex outside of heterosexual biblical marriage of one man to one woman for life. And so that includes premarital sex, it includes adultery, it includes pornography, just as much as it includes homosexuality. And see, one of the things that we've been talking about over the past year or so, in the church, I think we didn't mean this to happen, but we've developed a mentality, if, if we're not careful, we develop a mentality that there are some really extreme sexual sins that are just, oh, they're just so appalling and they're so disgusting. But then there's premarital sex and adultery and a little pornography. I mean, they're just run-of-the-mill sexual sins. I mean, come on. Those are like venial compared to the mortal sins over here. And, and I'm making fun of it so that I can make a point. We really think like that. Or at least the statistics would tell us that we do if we see how many people in the church who profess to be Christians are having premarital sex, committing adultery, and involved in pornography. And so, believer, non-believer, we're worshiping at the altar of Satan and following after him. Thefts could be translated dishonesties. This includes the breaking down of absolute standards. It alludes to abandoning the absolutes in God's word and living by watered-down laws of men rather than the laws of God. I think that would describe just about everything that's going on in California state legislature, right? Watered-down laws of men that ignore the laws of God. But again, in the church, over the last several years especially, I encounter lots of believers who come in for various types of counseling who refuse to come under the authority of the word of God person says, well, this is what I'm doing. And I say, aha, aha, here's the scripture that says you can't do that. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't agree with that. You know, it's like, it's like the gong show or something. What do you mean you don't agree with, oh, you know, the Lord will forgive me or yeah, it's not what that means or I, or I just don't care, but I'm still a Christian. I'm going to heaven and I'm going to do whatever I want. And so uh, this, this is a kind of theft. It's a kind of dishonesty. And so demons don't have to invade to kill with death. They can influence to deceive and they achieve just as great a victory. I think the devil literally is having a field day in the world today when we think about murders and sorceries and uh, thefts and sexual immorality. And by kill with death, I'm talking about what the Bible calls the second death. If you die without turning to Jesus Christ, you'll be raised from the dead to die the second death, which is to be cast alive into the lake of fire to experience eternal conscious torment. Now, after I wrote that last line, I realized God isn't trying to scare you straight. He's just giving you straight talk. He's giving you the truth. And if you're a, not a believer, he's showing you what you look like as a dupe of the devil. 
It's not just hellfire and damnation. It's not, oh, you're going to go to hell if you don't turn to Christ. That's true. But he's saying, hey, look at your life right now. This is not living. You are a zombie. You are the walking dead. In a little while, if you continue on this path, you're going to want to die, but you won't be able to. And if you do die in that state, you're going to die forever, separated from God. If you're a believer, he's reminding you of the abundant spiritual life you have as you pursue holiness in your walk with him. He's saying, hey, don't fall back into these things. Don't convince yourself a little sexual immorality is okay or a little bit of thievery is okay or a little bit of pharmacia or a little bit of whatever. Don't, just get out of that way of thinking. Look in the mirror and want to be changed moment by moment and day by day into the image of Jesus Christ, to the beautiful image. God has predestined you to become like Christ. Cooperate with him now and become as much like him as is possible before he comes for you.